Startup Nation. This is Dr. Carol. I'm just here, wanted to give you guys some helpful tips and things to remember as we move and navigate through this unprecedented uh, health pandemic. The first thing you guys want to remember is please wash your hands thoroughly and frequently. Wash your hands for at least 20 seconds under warm water with soap. If you do not have access to a sink with warm water and soap, please use hand sanitizer um, that contains at least 60% alcohol. The next thing you want to do is please avoid large crowds and social gatherings. As young people, our immune systems are typically healthier and so we can be asymptomatic, which basically means that we can carry uh, the virus if we come in contact with it and our immune system will recover. But we also pose the risk of spreading it to those who are immunocompromised or who have chronic health conditions and our older people. So please avoid large, large crowds if you can. The next thing I would say is use respiratory hygiene. If you have to sneeze, if you have to cough, please cover your mouth in your sleeve, not with your hands. Please avoid touching your hands and face after you've done this as well. And please, again, wash your hands. And lastly, if you feel sick, if you have any of these symptoms, which is high fever, uh, initially a dry cough or fatigue, please seek medical help early. If you've been exposed to someone who might have had the virus or been in contact, please stay at home to avoid spreading the virus to anyone else. Again, this is something serious, so we don't want to take it lightly. But those are just some helpful tips and reminders uh, for you guys as we navigate through this pandemic. I hope you guys have a great day and uh, stay safe. This episode is brought to you by Lena Creamer. Many of us love to power our morning with a good cup of coffee. However, sometimes we feel guilty because we will have to pay for that cup, or let's be honest, Startup Nation, that second cup on the treadmill later, especially when we add creamer. And that's where leaner creamer comes in. The gluten-free, sugar-free, lactose-free, but also guilt-free option for your coffee. It uses a combination of coconut oil and natural supplements to jumpstart your entrepreneurial journey for the day. Not a coffee drinker? No problem. Use it as a sugar substitute in your tea, oatmeal, or whatever else you like to sweeten. Go to leanacreamer.com and use the promo code STARTUP15 at checkout. If you are listening to the podcast, the link is there in the show notes. Lena Creamer, begin a healthy new chapter. Startup Nation, we tell you all the time that no one does anything great on their own. That includes starting a business or a nonprofit or even becoming a thought leader or an influencer. My point is that you need a team to do it successfully and responsibly. And that is why you should contact DR and Associates. Danielle and her team provide branding solutions along with digital and social media marketing that provide tangible results you are looking for. No matter if you are a Fortune 500 company or an author looking to make an impact, DR and Associates needs to be part of your team. They are one of the few firms whose leadership has been recognized by Google, which is proof of concept that they are very good at what they do. Contact DR and Associates today to grow your online presence. The number is 615-933-3681, or you can visit their website at drandassociates.com. Also, make sure you follow their Facebook page as well. DR and Associates, providing real clients with real results. Hey, Startup Nation, before we get to today's guest, I want to share with you a book I recently read. So with that, big shout out to Greenleaf Book Group for providing the book for us. They would say, hey, Dominic, we got this book. We think you and your audience may enjoy. Would you be willing to kind of read it and share your thoughts on it? It's like, sure, no problem. And so that's what we're going to do right now. And if you want to check out all the other books and authors that they have there at Greenleaf, go to GBG Press 
Dot-com. We actually have a link there in the show notes for easy access. So make sure you go ahead and check out that website for sure. Now, the name of the book is Flip-Flops and Microwaved Fish. Navigating the do's and don'ts of workplace culture. Now, if you know me, Startup Nation, you know I love interesting book titles and, and, and stuff that are kind of off the wall. Honestly, as soon as I read the title of this book, I was instantly, okay, let's see what this is about. But before we dive deep into the book, here's a little bit about the book itself, what it's about, and the author. Let's first start with the author. The author is Peter Yawitz, founder of Clear Communication. He started this company in 1991, Startup Nation, so he probably knows what he's talking about. He specializes in communication and marketing strategy, training, and one-on-one coaching for global organizations in a variety of disciplines. He's born and raised in Manhattan, still lives there actually. He got his undergrad from Princeton University and an MBA from the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. So clearly, once again, automation, this dude sounds pretty knowledgeable if I may say so myself. And you can check out his website, peteryawitz.com. He has this amazing blog on there called Someone Else's Dad. And we'll talk a little bit about that as we dive into the book. Now, a little bit about the book itself. Flip-flops and microwave fish helps people starting out in their careers learn how to be more than just professional-ish. It actually says that professional-ish, right? It offers very funny and practical advice on truly understanding and managing life at work. Written for both American and non-American young workers in addition to anyone else who's uncertain about how they come across at work. This book provides useful tips that can be immediately implemented to help people adapt well to their workplace culture. In Startup Nation, that's so important in today's world. A lot of times when we, especially to my Gen Zers out there, right? A lot of times when we come into the workplace, you know, we just graduated from college and we dive into a, a new place of work. Or sometimes, a lot of times, our first place of work, a lot of these skills, what we like to call soft skills, are kind of going to be expected once you walk into the door. Now, I don't know where the workplaces are going to expect you to get this stuff because usually, you know, as an older millennial, you just get this stuff, this knowledge over time. But for some reason, they're going to expect you to walk in the door of this stuff. And that's why I'm going to recommend that you read Flip Flops and Microwave Fish for that very reason first off startup nation it's a how-to book and i love how-to books because there's no room for ambiguity there's no room for you know what do i do next peter does a very good job of having those building blocks of what to do next after he's giving you the first set of you know advice or instructions if you will however you want to take it right also it's an easy read not in the sense of like like a kindergarten or first grade book but more so in the sense of like you can see as you read in each piece, it's building towards something, right? For instance, chapter one, a new workplace, talks to you and walks you through like your first day, maybe a few of those steps right before you start a new job. Chapter two, everything communicates, what to wear, how to greet people. So that's what Peter does very well. He provides the building blocks. So that way you kind of take out, I mean, obviously you can't account for everything, but Peter does a really good job of taking out a lot of anxiety for you on your first day of work. Like little subtleties that, that Peter has acknowledged and, and has witnessed over the years of his amazing career that he's imparting on you as the Gen Zer, as somebody who is not uh, customary to uh, business language and business customs like that. So it's very easy to read in that regard. And I love that part for sure. Another reason is that like, look, the chapters are not very long which is super important because a lot of times in how-to books, 
the the author is pontificating and he's he's you know you can tell he he's got to get all this out on his off his chest or her chest or whatever right but peter you don't get that because with peter he doesn't take himself too serious he pokes fun at himself he pokes fun at the people that he's talking about in examples he pokes fun at you as the reader but it's all in good fun and so you're not going to get like this whole thing of like he's better than you and you should listen to me because i'm that i'm this important no when he adopts the moniker of someone else's dad it you can tell in this book just like it's in, the, in his blog post in his youtube channel you can tell that in his book and it just makes for an easy read and a very great read in that regard as well also the chapters are standalone each one of these chapters startup nation within the book are you could definitely get something out of and then as soon as you you finish that chapter you can implement it right then and there and you know here at the startup life that is what we're all about if we don't provide that for you as soon as the episode end or in this case if as soon as you close the book then i feel like peter shares the same sentiment that like, we haven't done our job that's another reason why i want to recommend flip-flops and microwave fish also started nation and we, we talked about you know these soft skills but this book is evergreen look business practices change over time S markets change over time you know uh different technology changes over time but when it comes to soft skills you know a lot of the stuff really is evergreen there are a few things that kind of changes over time but the base of it all really is evergreen and honestly i feel like this is a book that you don't read just one time as an older millennial startup nation as i was reading this book a lot of this stuff i did know however it was a great reminder it was like oh you know what i did kind of slack off on that a little bit when i had that business meeting last time you know what when I sent that email, I did kind of like flub a few words every here and there that could have, you know, made myself sound a little bit different than, or at least how I wanted to come across. So even for me, as a person who's been in corporate America for a while, as a person who's been as an entrepreneur for a while, it forced me to self-reflect. And that's why I definitely recommend this book, Startup Nation. It's for the Gen Zer who's entering the workplace. It's for the older millennial like myself. It's even for the, the baby boomer. And Startup Nation, I have to say that my chapter MVP of Flip Flops and Microwave Fish is chapter six. Chapter six, meetings, conference calls, and presentations. Because look, a lot of times Startup Nation, and you may not know this or not, but one of the biggest fears uh, that people have, and honestly, is some people fear more than death, is public speaking, right? And so when you're talking about conference calls, and, and you're talking about sales presentations, right? Those things can get a little tricky, but Peter does an amazing job of giving you those tools, giving you what you need in order to provide the most concise, the most accurate depiction of what you want to come across. But he also gives those tips about your target audience when it comes to that communication. He gives a magnificent example of if your target audience just wants the bullet points or if your target audience wants the long drawn out details, right? There's one example when he talks about how uh, how not to write an email. He gives us an example of this extremely long email with just full of just words that don't mean anything and stuff like that. And you come across this in business communications all the time. And honestly, Stardomation, which I thought was hilarious, because he even says, like, you know, if you decide to read it and then, you know, you go through the passage and then afterwards he says, you know, if you read it, uh, you know, that tells me that Peter is he's extremely knowledgeable about what he does, but he's extremely approachable. And in this era of OK Boomer and stuff like that, that is so 
important startup nation, which is why you definitely want to grab this book. And also he has amazing anecdotes as well. He gives anecdotes from his personal experience, but he also gives anecdotes from the people that chime in uh, to him on someoneelsesdad.com. He pulls some of those anecdotes into the book which gives you that real world experience. Cause look, a lot of times people talk about, you know, this is what you should do. This is what you should do next. But they don't give a whole lot of like the real world experience, right? And so Peter does this not only with his own personal experiences, but he does this with other people's experiences as well that share some of their concerns, share some of the challenges that they're having in the workplace. And he, and he does a really good job uh, in a very humorous way of helping those people. And, and I love some of the nicknames that he has for him as well, which is just uh, hilarious for sure. So here's my final recommendation, Startup Nation. Flip Flops and Microwave Fish, it's a must buy. It's a must buy. The reason being is because if you are, once again, that Gen Zer who's just entering to workplace or you're coming from uh, another culture into the United States to to do business or to do some work, or if you're the opposite, if you're in the United States and you're going elsewhere um, to do business or do some work, this book is the one you want to have in your in your toolkit for sure. And it's not just for people who are just in the traditional nine to five, but it's also for my entrepreneurs as well. Look, there's a lot of stuff in this book that I got extreme value for, even whether it's new advice or new ideas, or if it's just reminders like, you know what, I should, uh, do that. And honestly, Peter is the perfect person to write this book at the perfect time. Because honestly, Startup Nation, we're living in two concurrent eras right now. First off, and I mentioned this earlier, when the era of the OK Boomer type of thing, right? And a lot of times millennials and Gen Zers may not want to listen or don't really give much, much thought to what uh, people of that generation have, and I, which I think is a detriment to Gen Zers and millennials as well. Uh, but with Peter, you're not going to get that pontificating. You're not going to get that, you know, I'm important. I'm older. I've done all this stuff. You should listen to me. He comes in in a very approachable way. He comes in very funny, but also extremely and more importantly, extremely knowledgeable at what he does. He's also the perfect author for this book because he also is part of the era of the dad joke, right? You know, we love dad jokes. That's kind of the thing right now. And he gives off that vibe where a little bit of corny, but definitely in your corner, definitely there to help. Just like a classic TV dad, which I am very always very fond of for sure. So once again, you should definitely must buy flip-flops and microwave fish, navigating the do's and don'ts of workplace culture. So as we come up on college graduate season and you're gonna throw parties and throw dinners uh, and have some type of nice little gift package for your college graduate, you need to include flip-flops and microwaves fish. It's definitely gonna set them up on the right path to success. It's definitely gonna set them up greatly in the workplace as they navigate their career or their path of entrepreneurship. So we're gonna go ahead and take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk to today's guest. Startup Nation, do you have friends and loved ones that you wanna do something nice for, but maybe they live in the next city, the next state, or even halfway around the world? Well, I have a solution for you. Koya is the new and best way to let your friends and family know you're thinking of them. Choose a friend, record a message, and hide it in a location that they are likely to visit and give them a clue. When they arrive, your message will instantly appear. You can even send them a gift. Best of all, the app is completely free. Get koya.com 
to download it now. That's K-E-T-K-O-Y-A dot com. Or check the link in the show notes. Koya, show you care when you can't be there. Tresta powers this episode of The Startup Life. Okay, Startup Nation, I want to talk to you about our sponsor, Tresta. Tresta is an app for iPhone and Android that lets you do business calling and texting from anywhere. I know so many entrepreneurs that are still using their their personal phone number for business calls. It can get complicated drawing the line between your personal and professional life. Startup Nation, this is the best business phone app out there. Whether you just need a business phone number or if your team is ready for a complete business phone system, Tresta is totally flexible and can grow with your business. And it's all unlimited. Calling, texting, and all of the powerful call management features like auto attendance, call recording, user groups, and more for just $15 per user per month. With Tresta, there's no contract, and you don't need any special hardware, just your smartphone you're already using. Tresta is easy to configure, so you can set everything up yourself, all online, avoiding all the hassle and high overhead costs of setting up a traditional business phone system, which is important because as entrepreneurs, we are always trying to cut cost and time. They're often a 30-day free trial, so you can see if Tresta's virtual phone system is right for you. Communicate smarter and more with Tresta. Start now at Tresta.com forward slash Startup Life. That's T-R-E-S-T-A dot com forward slash Startup Life. The link is there in the show notes if you're listening on the podcast. Tresta, business communication simplified. It's time to be about that life, the startup life. Here's your host, Dominic Lawson. All right, Startup Nation. So I hope you're ready to receive some value today. We have a big time, big time guest in the building today at Startup Nation. You know, when you're talking about being a startup founder, leadership is obviously an important part. And we have the perfect guest for that today. He is a four time bestselling author, speaker and futurist. He has been featured in Forbes, Inc., The Wall Street Journal and The Harvard Business Review. He has worked with Disney, Lowe's, Samsung and something as definitely near and dear in our heart, seeing as that our show is based in Memphis, St. Jude. He is also the author of his latest book, The Future Leader, Nine Skills and Mindsets to Succeed in the Next Decade. He is the one, the only, my guy, Jacob Morgan. What's up, Jay Morgan? How you doing? I appreciate that very kind intro. (laughs) No worries. No worries. Are you ready to pour some knowledge in the startup nation today? I am. I am. I'm looking forward to it. All righty. Let's do it. My name is Dominic Lawson, and this is the Startup Life and we're ready to rock and roll. So Jay, man, first things first, let's go ahead and hop right into it. So if you would kind of share with us your origin story, the background and what led you up into this point in your career. Well, probably like many people listening to the show, I I didn't originally set out to go off on my own to be an entrepreneur or do anything like that. I actually thought my career path would take me down something much more traditional where you you go to college, you get your degree, you go work for a company, maybe you go get an MBA and kind of climb the corporate ladder. Mm -hmm. And that's where my headspace was at. That's what I thought I was going to do. And so I was always a really bad student in high school, in community college. I got terrible grades. And I, you know, I didn't even do well that well on my SATs or anything like that, but I was fortunate enough to get into one of the schools in the University of California system, UC Santa Cruz. Okay. So as you can imagine, I got uh, very excited that I got in there and I thought, you know, this is it. This is my last opportunity. If I don't do well in college, I'm never going to get a job. Gotcha. 
So I really buckled down. I did well. I double majored in economics and psychology. I graduated with honors and I was like, all right, I'm ready to join the corporate world. Super excited, super pumped up. And uh, my first job out of college, which was in downtown Los Angeles, which is where uh, my family's from. They're from Southern California. And uh, this first job that I interviewed for, I was promised that I would be doing all these really great things and traveling and working with executives. You know, they, they sold me this very great story about the business and about the work and the company. And I thought, okay, perfect. You know, this is why I worked so hard in college is to get this kind of a job opportunity. So I took the job and uh, I was willing to forego my three hour daily commute. So hour and a half to work, hour and a half back from work, three hours a day just driving. But again, I was sold on this wonderful story, so I took the job. And then a couple of months into my job, I'm doing data entry and cold calling and PowerPoint presentations. Right. And I'm like losing my mind thinking, I, I really did not need to go to college to do this job. Right. And I'm sitting there thinking like, this sucks. <laughs> and one day, an executive comes out of his corner office and uh, he says, you know, I'm late for a meeting. I got a really, really important job for you. And I got, I got excited because I thought, this is it. This is the moment. You know, I paid my dues. Right. And uh, so I get over to him and I'm like, yeah, yeah, what is it? What do you need me to do? He's like, I'm late for a meeting. I need you to go run and uh, run to Starbucks and get me a cup of coffee. Wow. And get yourself a latte as well. Oh, and wow. so that was one of the last full-time corporate jobs I ever had working for anybody else. And funny enough, mm. a couple of weeks ago, I saw this guy at an airport. Wow. Okay. So, so this, this happened probably um, 12 years ago, 12, 13 years ago, this, this happened to me. And I'm uh, at the Oakland airport getting ready to uh, fly, uh, fly home mm -hmm. or to fly to Los Angeles to visit family. And uh, actually, no, no, I was going to Oakland to record the audio version of the Future Leader book. That's what I was doing. Right. And so I'm sitting at the airport and all of a sudden I hear, Jacob Morgan? And I'm like, yeah. And I look and he's right there. And, um, wow. He's like, you know, I, I saw a video that you did where you talk about this coffee story. And, <laughs> and I, I, I mean, I'm sitting at the airport, you know, I didn't want to get into this whole thing with him. So I kind of just played it off like, Oh yeah. You know, I do a lot of videos. I'm not sure which one you're talking about, blah, 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 right. blah, blah. But you but knew, told but my, you knew deep down though. Right. Yeah. I told my wife this and my wife is like, dude, you should have been like, do you know that that is like the, that story has propelled my career. And like, she wanted me to make this big deal about it. And I'm like, yeah, right. I don't want to get into this whole thing. He's sitting there with his kid. They're at like, a, you know, some baseball tournament. I'm like, ah, I just say hello, chit chat, and move on with my day. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, but it was funny because he's still doing the same type of work. He's yes. still, uh, you know, he's now running like, um, not running marketing, but he's like a mid-level manager at a pharma company managing ad spend. So in other words, he's still kind of on that same, that same path. Hmm. And um, yeah, that, that was one of the last full-time jobs I ever had. I had one more experience like that in the Bay Area. And uh, basically, I won free passes to go to a conference. My right. boss wouldn't, wouldn't let me go to the conference. I was, you know, so I just quit my job and went to the conference anyway. And it was local. It was in San Francisco, which is where I was living at the time, where I live now. These experiences just taught me that my idea of the corporate world was glamorous, right? I mean, you see it on TV, you know, you, you see this kind of glamour around business and, and especially when you become a leader at a company. And my bubble was very quickly burst. In my mind, I'm thinking like, well, if I'm working for these agencies and these companies, 
and these companies have these really big clients, shouldn't I just be able to add value directly to the clients and not have to be a part of an agency? Interesting. And so at the time I was doing search engine optimization, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with search engine optimization and you know, some social media consulting because that was getting big at the time. Right. So I live in the Bay area and uh, the way that I started doing this is I, I had my full-time job at this agency in San Francisco. And while I had my full-time job, I was also getting side gigs. Now keep in mind, I was single. I didn't have a mortgage. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a car payment. I was in my uh, early-ish 20s. Gotcha. And so what I spent a lot of my time doing, and I don't know if this, this tool still exists, but there was something known as a Craigslist scanner. Okay. And basically what it was is you could put in a set of keywords and it would scan all of Craigslist for people who have a job posting that match those keywords. And so I would put my target area of like, you know, California, various parts of the United States, because a lot of this work could be virtual. So it didn't need to be just in San Francisco. So I would find probably 100, 200 people every day who were looking for search engine optimization work on Craigslist. And I would email all of them. And, uh, you know, I would get mostly no's. I would say 90, 95% of the people told me no. But then I did get a couple side projects on the side. And as soon as these side projects were making enough income for me to be able to afford my biggest expense, which was rent, it's like, peace out, corporate America, I'm done. Of course. I quit and I started doing this uh, search engine optimization work and then that evolved into social media and then that evolved into like collaboration, future of work, employee experience, leadership, uh, you know, over the last 12, 15 years. Um, But that's kind of how I how I started basically bad jobs working for other people and then kind of grinding it out using, uh, using Craigslist. Um, you might remember that at the time there was a lot, you, do you remember what a tweet up was? Uh, vaguely, vaguely. So a lot of, uh, especially in the Bay area where a lot of these technologies were of becoming popular, people would always host these meetups, but it would be on Twitter. Like what? somebody would go on Twitter and say, Hey, we're hosting a meetup tonight. And at the time, Twitter wasn't just a marketing tool. It was like a lot of people were actually talking to each other. Gotcha. So I remember in the Bay Area, like on any given night, you could go to like two, three, four, five different events, marketing events, networking events, business events. And so I would spend a lot of my time going to these different events, networking, meeting people. I know I got a couple of projects that way. Uh, And then in the evenings, I would go onto this Craigslist scanner and try to find gigs on the side. And uh, it was really just a bunch of, grinding and hustling and doing whatever I could to to get these side projects. For sure. Once again, Startup Nation, we are talking to Jacob Morgan, the author of The Future Leader, which we're going to talk about now. So, you know, before we kind of really dive into the book, Jacob, just kind of walk me through the process of writing the book, because I thought it was interesting how, you know, tout that you talked to about 140 CEOs, but also you hooked up with LinkedIn to talk to to over about 14,000 different employees kind of walk us through that process and all that data that you collected collected because there was a lot of data that you had in the book there. Oh yeah. I mean, this is the hardest book I've ever written. And just to give people some context, a lot of where I spend my time now is in the future of work, employee experience and leadership space. Right. So I give a lot of talks for organizations. I create courses and I help um, basically create organizations where employees genuinely want to show up to work each day. So whether it's advising leaders, giving workshops, uh, giving keynote talks for thousands of people, my job is really to help 
leaders and organizations and individuals understand how the world of work is changing, what we should be doing to adapt, how do we create better leaders, how do we design better experiences for our people. So I'm very much kind of on that B2B side um, as far as where, where my focus is. Gotcha. So this book was tough because as you know, and as I'm sure your listeners know, there are tons of leadership books that have been written. Gotcha. Hundreds, probably thousands of leadership books that are out there. Um, some of them are good. You know, some of them are outdated. Some of them are just not good. But there are a lot of great ones out there. The challenge is that a lot of leadership books out there focus on what's going on today. That's and I, as I would give my talks, I would get a lot of questions from attendees around, hey, you know, what's, what's going to happen in the future? What, what's the world going to look like in 10 years? What should we be teaching our people now? What should our organizations be doing now to prepare for the future? And, you know, I certainly had my ideas on this, but there's not a lot of data and research that's out there. So I thought, all right, I'm going to try to collect it. And I set out to answer two very, very broad and big questions. Will the leader of 2030 be that different than the leader of today? And if so, how will that leader be different? And um, the way that I decided to answer that is I tried to talk to as many CEOs as I could. And I didn't know how many would honestly want to speak with me. Okay. I think my original goal at first was maybe 10, then 30, then 50, then 70, then 100. And then I, ultimately I got to over 140. And even uh, I could have kept going, but I had to cut it off at some point and actually write this freaking thing. Of course. Um, so I interviewed all these CEOs for an hour. Uh, some a little bit over an hour. Some were in person, some were uh, over the phone or Skype or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And I asked all of these leaders a series of questions around um, what mindsets do future leaders need to have? What skills should future leaders need to have? I looked at trends for future leaders, the biggest challenges, a day in the life of a leader in 2030, all these different things. And after going through all these interviews, I looked for, you know, what are the, what are the common themes that keep coming up from all these global CEOs? And by the way, these are CEOs from companies like Unilever, MasterCard, Kaiser, Oracle, SAP, uh, Farmers Insurance, uh, Allstate, like big, big, big companies, Best Buy. Uh, so really big, large organizations. KPMG was in there as well. So I looked for these common trends and themes that these CEOs kept identifying. And then I also had a relationship with, uh, with LinkedIn. I had um, uh, them as, as podcast guests in the past. You know, we've done some work together. And so I reached out to them and I said, hey guys, you know, would you be interested in teaming up and doing this, this kind of a survey? And leadership is a very important theme to LinkedIn. And so they agreed and we teamed up and we surveyed 14,000 employees together. And what this allowed me to do is to see, do the perspectives that these CEOs keep telling me about align at all with the perspectives and insights that employees who work for these CEOs see? Right. So I basically, I was able to slice across the company. Uh, entry-level employees, mid-level managers, senior executives, and CEOs, and to see how, you know, where are the gaps between how everybody thinks leadership is changing and what's going on. So uh, I published that in the book, The Future Leader, which, by the way, if anyone is interested, uh, the URL for it is getfutureleaderbook.com for whoever is interested in learning more. Absolutely. And actually, and a lot of the- In the show notes, Startup Nation, if you're listening on the podcast, go ahead, Jake, I just want to get that in there. Go ahead. Oh, cool. And yeah, I mean, a lot of the stuff I couldn't even fit um, in the book. So I, you know, I created, I, am I allowed to mention like a resource if people want it? Absolutely. So uh, there are a lot of things that I wasn't able to put in the book. One of them, uh, so one of the things that I asked a lot of these CEOs is what's, what's your best leadership hack? Like what's the one thing that you do to be as successful as you can in your leadership role? And I got some really, really cool responses, but I wasn't able to fit that in the book. 
Um, but I still wanted to share it with people. So if anyone is interested, I created a, something called Leadership Reset, which is actually, that's the URL, leadershipreset.com. And, uh, and if you go there, you can access these videos. There's 31 of them. So every day you'll get an email from me. It's, it's a month of basically free leadership coaching. And every day you'll get a video and it's, I don't know, two to, each video is two to three minutes where I just basically share one of these leadership hacks from these CEOs um, that I wasn't able to include in the book. So if anybody wants a you know, free bonus resource on leadership, you can go check that out. Absolutely. And once again, we have that link in the show notes as well. If you're listening to the replay on the podcast, uh, for sure. Let me ask you a quick follow-up because you talked about how first uh, talking to these CEOs, first you're just trying to get to 10 and then you got to 30 and so on and so on and so on and eventually reaching 140. What was the game plan? Because you said you didn't know if you were going to be able to talk to all of them or that many. What was the game plan? How are you able to kind of make the pitch to uh, get that, that sit down, that one-on-one or that Skype interview with the CEO? Because you're talking about uh, Startup Nation. We're talking about people like from Domino's Pizza, MasterCard, Kaiser Permanente, Audi, Best Buy. These are some very busy people. So how are you able to make that pitch to say, you know what, you know, can you sit down with me and talk about leadership you know, that I'm kind of doing for this book? Oh, yeah, it wasn't easy. And, and keep in mind, it's not just uh, coordinating with the CEOs, right? I mean, a lot of these companies, you're coordinating with their executive assistants. Absolutely. They have their own PR teams. Mm-hmm. Then after the interviews were done, they had to get their legal teams to sign off on me actually being able to use the interviews. Right. And not everybody agreed, right? I mean, uh, for example, like the CEO of T-Mobile, John, Le- uh, John Ledger. Right. His, uh, his legal and PR team, they were like, sorry, you can't use it for the book. Gotcha. And, you know, I had quite a few CEOs like that. Gotcha. So it was tough. So first, through giving a lot of speeches each year, I have worked with some of these organizations. Right. So I was able to reach out to them and, you know, they were very open and receptive in speaking with me. And once you get a couple of these CEOs that you can mention, when you reach out to other CEOs, you can say, hey, you know, these are some of the CEOs I already have, just so they can see some of that, uh, the credibility, so that they can see that some of their peers are involved as well. And then it becomes much easier. If I was just reaching out with no contacts, no relationships, no prior books, no prior endorsements from CEOs and said, hey, let me speak with you, I probably would have gotten almost everybody to say no to me. But because I was able to say, look, this is my fourth book. Um, These are some CEOs who've endorsed some of my previous books. And I already had some CEOs who agreed to be interviewed just because I've given talks at their conferences. That made the process much easier. But still, I did have most of the CEOs or most of the organizations say no to me for a variety of reasons. You know, they didn't have time. They're, you know, a lot of the PR people, they're gatekeepers. So they just say no on behalf of the CEO. And the CEO doesn't even know that this is being requested. Absolutely. You know, so he doesn't even know or she doesn't even know that this is being asked of him. I definitely know a little bit about that. (laughs) Yeah. So sometimes the PR people will say no for whatever reason. Uh, Like, who knows? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, But I probably reached out to, I don't know, 500 maybe more plus organizations. And uh, from that, I got around 140. So you can see that most of the people actually say no. Yeah, maybe maybe 80% around said no. Got you. Thank you for sharing all of that for sure. So I want to kind of dive into the book just a little bit, because once again, you you talk to, you know, some amazing leaders at some uh, great companies. And one of those was uh, the leader of the CEO of, uh, of ZF. Right. You know, he employs is a German manufacturing company, Startup Nation. Yes. About yes. 150,000 people. And he had a quote about leadership that I thought was very uh, interesting. 
He said, quote, we can't only hire superstars. We also have to create them and enable them. It's a huge leadership task. And I see as a, I see it as the number one priority End quote. I was curious about that because in, in my experience, it's always, you know, you have like the people who are super talented and the one you have to kind of groom and mature and nurture and stuff like that. And the ones that you have to work with like that, in my experience, they also tend to be a little bit better at leadership, a little bit better at a craft and stuff like that. Were you seeing some of the same things or are you seeing something different? You mean as far as hiring the superstars? Yes, compared to the superstars. Yeah, so his, um, and by the way, the I always have a hard time pronouncing both his name and the company. Yeah, I didn't even try it. Yeah, the, the CEO it. is Wolf, uh, Wolf Henning uh, Scheider and the company is ZF uh, Friedrichshafen or Friedrichshafen. Yeah, Friedrichshafen, yeah. They're they're a German, like you said, a uh, uh, company. They make a lot of parts for for cars that many of us drive in, and it's a, actually a massive company. I can't remember right. exactly how many employees were there. Maybe a hundred thousand. Was that mm. right? Yeah, you have the book in front of you where it says that. One hundred and fifty is what I got in the book here. Yeah, that's, that's quite a, that's quite large. <laughs> yeah, so it's a it's a very very big company, and um, uh, his quote. I think you're right. He said that you can't just hire the superstars, right? Right, right. I thought it was a very interesting quote. Yeah. So basically, um, and I'm trying to remember if there was more to it and I, uh, uh, I trimmed the quote, but his idea was you can't just hire people who are um, good individual contributors. Right. You have to also hire people who are good people uh, because we, we've all had this experience, right? Where you either work with a coworker or you work with a leader and they're really good at like their job. They're really good at bringing in sales. I mean, sales is a classic example, right? So I remember, uh, for example, I worked at Morgan Stanley many, many, many years ago. Gotcha. And in the financial services space, typically the way that you get promoted is you bring in the most amount of money. So your promotion actually has nothing to do with your ability to lead others. Your promotion has everything to do with the amount of money that you bring in. So you bring in like 1 million and you get promoted. You bring in 10 million. Okay, now all of a sudden you're a VP. You bring in 100 million, you know, now all of a sudden you're a director. And so you get promoted based on the amount of money that you bring. And so to the company, you are an all-star. You are a fantastic performer. You're bringing in a lot of deals. And what happens is then we say, hey, now you're promoted. Now you get to lead other people. Even though this person is not a good leader. They might treat people poorly. They might take credit for other people's work. They might berate their coworkers. They might do all these terrible things, but they bring in a lot of money to the business. And so what he was saying is that it's not good enough anymore um, to work in any kind of business and just be a good individual performer. You need to be a good human being because nobody's going to want to work with you. And I don't know if I'm allowed to curse on this podcast if you're an a-hole. Go for it, man. It's going okay. on radio, so I'll bleep it out, but you can curse on the podcast. I go for it. <laughs> okay, good to know. Um, so I won't hold back. Gotcha. So, yeah, so basically, I mean, if, if you're a jackass, um, he is one of the many CEOs who we interviewed who's basically like, we're not going to tolerate that. Gotcha. You know, we need people who, are, who believe in coaching and helping others. We need people who believe in like practicing empathy and uh, embracing different perspectives and ideas. Not just somebody who's like, you know, I make the most amount of money. My ideas are the best. You guys are all shit, blah, 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 blah. Right. Like that kind of attitude and mentality is not going to cut it, even though you are able to bring in a lot of money to the firm. And so I, um, I love his quote. Because, and what he also meant with this, when he said you can't only hire superstars, you have to create them and enable them. 
he was also, uh, the way that I took it, saying that um, if you bring in talented people to the company, first of all, like I said, don't bring in talented jerks. Don't bring in talented jackasses. Right. But if you do bring in talented people who are, you know, practicing some of those human components in there, like they're, they're genuinely good people, you need to do whatever you can to create an environment in which they can succeed and flourish. Like if you see that talent in your people, let them run with it. Um, don't try to hold them back. Give them every opportunity to succeed. Uh, let them grow. Coach them as much as you can. Don't just bring them into the company and have talented people running around and then eventually they just get disengaged and frustrated with their jobs. So when you identify these talented people who are not the jackasses, you got to do whatever you can to help these people succeed and to grow and to thrive. So I actually like his approach. For sure. For sure. I, I actually appreciate that approach as well, because it's not always about, you know, the, like you said, the superstar or the high productive uh, person in, in the organization is all about, you know, making sure that there's a sense of decency in the organization. I think that's also uh, super important as well. You talk about that in the book, uh, uh, and one of the, uh, the skill sets uh, about the Yoda being the Yoda in a type of leader in a corporation and stuff like that. So I appreciate all of that emotional intelligence is what you talked about. Uh, yep, absolutely. For sure. All right, Startup Nation. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to ask Jacob about one company story about how they automated 17,000 jobs, but didn't lose a single employee. My name is Dominic Lawson, and this is The Startup Life. Oralex powers this episode of The Startup Life. Startup Nation, as a podcaster, radio host, and business owner, I know a thing or two about the need for your message to come through clearly to your target audience. The last thing you want when trying to close a big deal over the phone or giving a sales presentation in your conference room is to have the person you are talking to be distracted by either the fact that you sound like you're in a warehouse or an outside noise like a fire truck. Trust me, Startup Nation. I know this all too well from experience. And that is why Oralex has your back. Oralex Acoustics creates professionally tested products that you can trust in a commercial space or at home. Better office acoustics improves intelligibility when video conferencing or generic conversation reduces stress and helps build a proactive work atmosphere. From a home studio for my content creators to your office space downtown, your gear performs better in an acoustically treated room. Trust me, you are in good hands with Oralex as they are the number one brand in acoustics, providing trusted solutions for over 40 years. Also, you can download the Oralex Acoustic Treatment mobile app in the Apple or Google Play Store to give you specifically designed and instantaneous recommendations for various room types. Go to Oralex.com and use the promo code STARTUP in all caps for 10% off your entire order. The link is there in the show notes if you are listening to the replay on the podcast. So if you are ready to stop sounding like you're having a sales meeting in a sports arena, go with Oralex. Professional audio made simple. Startup Nation, we tell you all the time that no one does anything great on their own. That includes starting a business or a nonprofit or even becoming a thought leader or an influencer. My point is that you need a team to do it successfully and responsibly. And that is why you should contact DR and Associates. Danielle and her team provide branding solutions along with digital and social media marketing that provide tangible results you are looking for. No matter if you are a Fortune 500 company 
or an author looking to make an impact, DR & Associates needs to be part of your team. They are one of the few firms whose leadership has been recognized by Google, which is proof of concept that they are very good at what they do. Contact DR & Associates today to grow your online presence. The number is 615-933-3681 or you can visit their website at drandassociates.com. Also, make sure you follow their Facebook page as well. DR and Associates, providing real clients with real results. All right, Startup Nation, so welcome back to the Startup Life as we continue our conversation with Jacob Morgan, the author of The Future Leader. Uh, another thing you, you talked about uh, in the book that I really thought was fascinating was, you know, we, we're all aware of how automation is, is taking over in, in certain aspects of industries and stuff like that. But you talk about uh, the company Accenture and how they were able to replace 17,000 jobs via automation, but not lose a single worker. I thought that part was very interesting because how they, they did embrace automation, which future leaders have to do. They embrace automation, but they also made it to a point where you embrace automation, but at the same time, you can still keep those workers and just have those workers kind of serve a different function a little bit. Kind of talk about that a little bit, Jacob. Yeah, so the story in the book, and, and, I, and I love that story. I'm glad you brought it up. So there's a lot of discussion and worry about automation and technology, artificial intelligence, all the different things that are happening out there. Right. And so there are a lot of organizations, well, I should say there are a fair amount of organizations out there who really believe in, in this human aspect of work and augmenting their workers with, with technology, not replacing them. Right. And so what Accenture did, it, so basically the, what, what that means is that use technology as much as you can, but use it as a way to actually help your people and to create better experiences for them, not as a way to replace them. And so what Accenture did, which I thought was really cool, is they had a lot of people in the finance department who most people would just consider to be number crunchers. You know, they, they, they simply just calculate numbers and then present the numbers to their clients, right? I mean, basic stuff. And they thought about this for a bit and they thought, you know what, we could actually use bots to do that. And there are thousands of people who are doing this, 17,000 people at Accenture who literally are just sitting there and just calculating numbers and looking at spreadsheets and just like, all, that's all they do. And Accenture thought, well, we want to use technology to replace all those things because it, we don't need people to do it. But we also want to take care of our people in the process. Absolutely. So what we want to do is we're going to replace those jobs, not the people. We're going to replace those jobs with bots. Bots who can do that faster, better, and more accurately than any human will ever be able to do. But what we want to do is we want to upskill and retrain these 17,000 people. And we want to help them unlock what really makes them human. We want them to become more like the strategic advisors for our clients. So don't just calculate the numbers, but actually help our clients understand what these numbers mean. What strategy should they take as a result of these numbers? Help them really understand, tell stories around these numbers, make these things come to life. And that's much more of a human skill, Absolutely. right? Being creative, telling stories, building relationships, having that human connection, helping people understand what these things mean. And interestingly enough, I think we're starting to see more and more organizations go down that path Absolutely. of we're not going to use technology to just kick people out of the company. We're going to use technology to help them unlock the things that make them human. Communication, listening, empathy, self-awareness, right? These really good human skills, leadership to help them become better at their jobs. And uh, I, I really loved um, that example from Accenture. For sure. And, uh, the reason I love that story 
you know, and Startup Nation can remember because a few weeks ago we had on Rashad Tabakawala. He talked about his book as well. And one of the things he talked about is, you know, the difference between data and the story. Like the data is the number crunching that you were talking about that the, autom that the bots or the automation can kind of fulfill. But Accenture kind of provides the story of not just the data, but what that data means. And that I think that has more meaning to the customer, to the client. So that's why I know for me in Startup Nation, that I definitely love the Accenture story for sure. Yep. Yep. Sure. Totally agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. Once again, we're talking to Jacob Morgan, uh, the uh, four-time best-selling author and futurist here on The Startup Life. Another story, you know, and we kind of wrap up talking about the book a little bit, uh, is that a lot of times as leaders, it goes a little bit beyond uh, the four walls of the brick and mortar building that you work in, nine to five and stuff like that. You have this story. Uh, towards the end of the book that I, I just was just like, oh my goodness, like that's what that is like leadership personified right there, where you talk about the CEO of a company who was getting ready to go under surgery for a, like a brain tumor or something like that. Kind of share yep. with us that story and, and why, you know, you, you thought it was so important to make that impactful story in the book. Oh yeah. That's one of my favorite stories from the book. Um, and I, you know, whenever I share this story in front of audiences, like I always get goosebumps just cause it's like, that good of a leadership story. I, I got good goosebumps reading it. Oh yeah, it's, <laughs> I, I love it. So she's, uh, Cheryl Palmer is the CEO of a company called Ta Taylor Morrison. Uh, they're a home building company. They have around 2,500 people, uh, 2,500 employees. When we were talking, I asked her, I said, you know, what, what most shaped your approach to leadership? Like how you are as a leader? And she thought about that for a minute. And she's like, well, you know, a few years ago, I had to do something that was really, really difficult for me. And she proceeded to tell this story about how she, she had a brain tumor. And what she needed to do is she needed to write letters to her team and, and to her family and to her friends. Right. But specifically to her team, to her company, her 2,500 employees, she had to write them two letters. And the first letter that she wrote was basically like, you know, I'll see you in six weeks. And the second letter she wrote was, um, make me proud and carry on our legacy. Right. And the make me proud and carry on our legacy letter is the one that she wanted her team to review, receive if her surgery didn't go well. Right. right. I mean, if, you know, of course she passed away or who knows what happened. Right. And then she wanted her team to receive that letter. And the second letter of I'll see you in six weeks is the letter she wanted her team to receive if everything went well. Surgery went well. Hey guys, I'm recovering. I'll see you in six weeks. So she wrote these two letters to her team and she said that most shaped and influenced her, um, her approach to being a leader because what it taught her was she, she really, as most leaders do, they're not very intentional, right? They're constantly running around uh, fighting fires. They're just, they're just kind of like there. They're not, their days are not as intentional and as purposeful as they could be. Right. And this taught her that don't just go through your day as the leader fighting fires and just being there, but really understand that you have a tremendous impact on relationships and create as much meaning and purpose as you can for yourself and for those you work with. And so going through this kind of life or death situation for her really helped her become a, a better leader. And she said that most shaped her leadership journey and her approach to leadership is really having to write these two letters and um, 
of course, everything went okay. And after she got back to her organization, um, she she was really she was really a different person in how she led, and how she just interacted with people. I mean, she was very very present. Um, and you know, if you look at her reviews and rankings on Glassdoor, I mean, it's unbelievable. Right. Absolutely. Her approval rating, the company's approval rating, they're among the highest I've ever seen out of any company. We're talking about 90 percentile high for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's because Cheryl Palmer is there um, to help others. She is there with the mentality to help make other people more successful than she is. She's there. I mean, she, she loves the people that she works with. She's a good human being and she's really, and people know that they can count on her. And I think, uh, you know, she's a really, really inspiring leader. I hear that. I hear that. And I think that that there's a port, important piece there you talked about as far as like she really makes it a point to make leaders better than she is and stuff like that and make leaders better just in general for sure. So I hey Startup Nation, due to time constraints, we had to cut our conversation short because I don't want to get in trouble with the station man. So if you want to hear an additional 25 minutes of content with our conversation with Jacob Morgan, go over to your favorite podcast platform and you can hear an additional 25 minutes of content of our conversation with Jacob Morgan. Trust me, you want to listen to it. If you want to let us know what you think about our show, have an idea for a show topic, or would like to advertise on our show, send us a message on the Startup Life Podcast Facebook page. And while you are there, like and follow our page as well. It's a great way for us to engage with you, Startup Nation, and really grow our community. The link is there in the show notes. Subscribe to the show as it can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or even on your Facebook timeline or any other platform you like to get your podcast. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you find our content valuable, please give us a five-star rating as it will help us climb the charts and help more people find our show. You can also listen to the show on the Startup Life Podcast new website. There you will find the all-new startup blog where I write on many topics that are interesting and helpful to you on your path to entrepreneurship. And hey, if you have an idea, be about that life, the startup life. Welcome to the podcast side, Startup Nation. And as promised, that additional 25 minutes of content with Jacob Morgan starts right now. It's always amazing to me when I talk to entrepreneurs uh, when they have the this, this moment or a couple of moments where, you know, and you was talking about this earlier, where you were, you know, in the corporate job, nine to five, and then you had these moments where it was like, I don't need to do, I don't need to go this route in order to you know, do what I really want to do, to kind of do what I, I really love doing and stuff like that. And so that's always fascinating me. It's almost kind of like somebody gives you a pair of goggles and you just see the world instantly differently, right? Which yeah, but, but it's also interesting because it wasn't that I love doing these things. So th I know that there is a lot of um, misconceptions. Like a lot of people always say, follow your passion when it comes right, to right. And I don't actually think that's very good advice. Okay. Um, 
because as we know, there are a lot of passionate actors. Uh, there are a lot of passionate um, singers. There are a lot of passionate uh, people in any given field who can't really make that into a business. I mean, you go to downtown Los Angeles, for example, and there are tons of people in there who are like, oh, and I'm super passionate about acting, but they can't make money as an actor. They're serving tables. There are a lot of people, as we've seen, who go on shows like America's Got Talent, who you know, are so passionate about singing, but they can't sing. So following your passion when it comes to career advice, I don't think is the best um, the best direction. I mean, I'm very passionate about chess. You know, I love to play chess. I'm passionate right. about racquetball. But I also acknowledge that I'm not going to make a living being a professional chess player or racquetball player. It's just the right. reality of, you know. So in my situation, um, and, and so this is why I say it's not good to just follow your passion because that makes a couple assumptions, right? I mean, first, it assumes you know what your passion is. It's true. A lot of people don't know what their passion is. You know, I didn't really know what my passion was going to be early on. You know, I wanted to be a lawyer for a while. I thought I was going to be a doctor. I was interested in computer science. I was interested in technology. Uh, I thought I wanted to be like a hedge fund manager for a bit. I didn't know what the hell was going on. Gotcha. So a lot of people, a lot of people don't even know what their passion is. Okay. Uh, a lot of people have multiple passions. And your passions also change. That they do. That they do. And when you tell somebody to follow your passion, it makes it sound like, hey, there's your passion sitting over there. Just go chase it. And that's not really how the world works. Now, I don't think that, yeah, I mean, if you're passionate about something, it doesn't mean you shouldn't pursue it. Of course. I think you, I think you can pursue it, but you also need to pursue it with a realistic lens on. Right. So, for example, you might be able to pursue it and see if it's able to turn into a business for you. Um, you can still pursue it as a hobby. I still compete in professional uh, chess events, but I do it as a hobby. And I spend you know, my personal time studying and learning about chess. But it's not what my business is built on. So you can still have your passions. The thing is, is your passion something that can in turn into a sustainable form of income? And for 99% of the people uh, in the world, the answer is no. That is true. So what I think is more valuable is to bring whatever passion you have with you to whatever job that it is that you're doing. I mean, look, I, I was never passionate about speaking. I was never passionate about writing a book. I was never passionate about being an entrepreneur or starting my own business. I was never passionate about doing any of these things. But I was kind of forced into that situation. And then I started to get good at these things. You know, I, I started writing, I started creating a blog and people started reading it. And I was like, hey, you know what? This is kind of cool. Um, the first couple of speeches I gave were a disaster. And over time, I started to get a little bit better and better. And I thought, hey, you know what? I'm not that bad at this. And as I started to do these things more often, um, I started to get better at them. And as I started to get better at them, then I became more passionate um, doing these things. So passion is a very, very tricky animal, right? It's, it's not, um, sometimes being good at something allows you to become passionate about it. And I'm just in general a passionate person about different things. And I try to bring that passion with me to whatever it is that I'm doing, whether it's a podcast interview or writing a book or speaking. That to me is a much more sustainable and scalable way to pursue something that you want to do. Okay, so we need to be realistic about our passions and if they can actually turn into a sustainable form of, of income into, and a business for us. Gotcha. Got you. Thank you for sharing that. So it's probably safe to say that in, in that instant, it was less about passion and probably more about freedom. Yeah. 
Like I said, I mean, I was not, I mean, give me, I'm not passionate about search engine optimization, or at least I wasn't, you know, 15 years ago. Right. You know, I was, I was doing this stuff because I was like, you know, I was fairly good at it. I was getting results at it and it paid the bills. Right. Right. That's why I was doing it. Um, it's, you know, I didn't wake up each morning and you're like, oh God, I'm so excited to optimize title tags and meta descriptions. And I'm like, I'm so excited to look at code every day. Like, no, absolutely not. Uh, so I think it's really important for, for people and especially for your listeners to kind of, and and it's funny because you see a lot of, there are big social media pundits. There are a lot of successful people out there, you know, once they've made it like great athletes or famous actors. And they always like to say, follow your passion. Right. Right. Um, but a lot of these people ended up in their position out of luck. I mean, you look at how a lot of actors or actresses got to be famous. Mm-hmm. Uh, very few of them did it through like traditional means of like, you know, I'm just going to go to a lot of editions and do it. A lot of people randomly got discovered. They knew somebody who knew somebody. Like it's, it's very uh, fortuitous for a lot of people um, in those types of situations. And for every athlete that has ascended and has become great, there are a thousand athletes who have not been able to make it anywhere near that person's level. So keep that in mind, right? You gotta, when, when people get on a stage and they have a big platform, they say, oh, you know, this just goes to show that you can do anything if you follow your passion. That's BS. Because if that was something that everybody could do, guess what? Everybody would do it and everybody on planet Earth would be happy. But that's not quite how the world works. Gotcha. So. Take what these people say with a grain of salt. Right. And maybe, probably maybe not take it so literal, maybe. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I'm all for having a passion. I'm right. all for making sure that you integrate that passion into your life. Um, because I, reality is important. Yeah. You know, I think a life without having any passions is, you know, completely boring. So have your passions, but just be realistic with yourself on whether or not these passions are going to be your business and they can be your business. Or if these are passions that you just have as a hobby and something that you can do on a regular basis, like chess. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing all of that for sure. For sure. Once again, we are talking to Jacob Morgan, the author of The Future Leader. You can buy that book, Startup Nation, on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, uh, Books A Million, but also Get The Future Leader. Is it goodtofuturelearbook.com? get uh get futureleaderbook.com yes futureleaderbook.com the link is there in the show notes startup nation for easy access and before we kind of talk about your company a little bit you have a podcast as well uh jacob kind of talk about uh the future of work podcast and what people can expect from your show yeah, that is true. So I do have a, a, a podcast very much focused on the future of work. Mm-hmm. And uh, every week I interview a business leader and to get their perspectives on how the world of work is changing. I mean, we talk about everything from, you know, I've had like deans and CEOs of universities. I've had CEOs of big global companies. I had chief human resource officers, learning officers, best-selling authors like Yuval Harari who wrote Sapiens. Um, It's really just a mix of different perspectives and ideas around the future of work. What it means for us, what skills we should have, what mindsets we should have, what's coming, what our company's doing, just everything that, that, that you need to know to, to be successful at work and in life is really what the show is about. Absolutely. Uh, and that, uh, I think we have a URL for that, futureofworkpodcast.com, I believe is what it is. So futureofworkpodcast.com, and then that'll um, redirect everybody to the podcast page. 
For sure. We, we definitely have a link there in the show notes for easy access uh, for Startup Nation to check that out as well. You know what? I actually want to ask you one last question before we transition from the book, because I, I have to mention it, because like I said, we're based here in Memphis. Uh, so I have to ask this. And so you talked to the CEO of St. Jude, which is very near and dear to us uh, here in Memphis. You toured the facility and talked to the CEO and stuff like yes. that. I, I want to ask this question really quickly. So with what he does at St. Jude, we're talking about, you know, uh, pediatric, you know, cancer, uh, medical facilities and things of that nature, kind of helping with pediatric cancer and other types of cancer that uh, kids have uh, around the country. So he is a CEO of a, a company or a hospital in that regard to where he's impacting people in this way, saving lives and stuff like that. Do you find that CEOs who have a role, uh, who lead companies with that type of impact, a little bit different than the CEO for somebody who's like, say, of like a Best Buy or Audi or something like that? Are they cut from a different cloth or do you, or they're just very similar in what they do as far as like leadership and impact and things of that nature. What are you seeing? I think there are more similarities than there are differences. Okay. But the difference is that when you are the CEO of that kind of an organization, it is easier, I think, when it comes to the purpose and meaning and impact stuff. That makes sense. Because it's very clear that the organization is, is, is saving lives. Like, you know what the story is when you work there. Right. Right. I mean, you know what St. Jude Children's Research Hospital is, even in the name. I mean, we, like, you know what it is that you're doing. Right. So from that perspective, now, it doesn't mean that it's easy. I think it's of course easy. course not. Yeah. Because right. even if you're in marketing or sales or in HR at an organization like that, I mean, you still need to have that storytelling to understand how the work that you're doing is contributing to the mission of the company. But I think it's a little bit easier just because of the nature of the work. Now, for an organization like Best Buy, it's a little more challenging because you're still impacting people, but it's a little bit harder there to understand how. Like, I mean, we, we just sell stuff. We just sell TVs and computers and stuff like that that's not meaningful. There's no purpose there. That's like, you know, it, it's, it's harder for right. an employee to get that sense of purpose and meaning. So what that means, and it, by the way, it doesn't mean that it's not there. It is. Course, I mean, you just need course. to tell stories around it because, right. you know, think about what, what computers allow us to do to, to stay connected to friends and family, TV. You know, we can watch shows that transport us into another world. They can help us uh, you know, feel better at the end of it. Like there are lots of stories and visuals that you can tell around why this stuff is important. And so I just think that for organizations like Best Buy, they need to work a little bit harder on that storytelling aspect for their purpose and meaning. Whereas for a nonprofit, for example, or for an organization like St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, they still need to work on it, but it's maybe a little bit easier for them. Got you. Got you. Thank you for sharing that. So, Jacob, if you would, man, kind of tell me a little bit about the, the futureorganization.com, you being the founder of it and stuff like that, how you accumulated the team. Like, I guess take me through the, the, the process of, you know, you, know, you, you have this, this knowledge and that you acquired over time. And they say, you know what, now I want to turn it into like a business. And you have a team of 10. So just kind of talk about that transition from ideation to actually forming the company about what you do. Because you know, I imagine it was probably a bit challenging because it's not like you sell cupcakes or hot dogs. You're providing a service and speaking about, you know, uh, things uh, that people need help with. So kind of talk to me, uh, walk me through that a little bit, if you would. 
Oh, cupcakes and hot dogs do sound uh, amazing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the majority of what I do, where the revenue comes from, is speaking, right? Speaking right. advisory courses. I mean, basically, I am the product. My information is the product or, right. or the ideas are the product. Exactly. And so for the first, I don't know, five years and maybe even six years, I don't even know how long, I, there was nobody. It was just me. Right. Uh, I didn't have a team. And slowly but surely, I started to grow and increase. I think the first person I hired may have been an assistant then somebody to help with like social media and content. I have video editors now. I have a podcast editor. I have a website person, social media person, a content person. Right. Uh, I have people who help me design images and graphics. So there's 10 of us now, somebody who helps with like ads as well. And um, it's just one of those things where as the revenue from speaking grows, Right. As the revenue from courses and from some of these other places grows, you can start to bring in more people. And so that's really what I've done. I mean, I've grown relatively slowly, if you think about it. It's kind of like, uh, you know, one person a year almost for the length of how long the business has been around. And um, so I haven't grown that quickly. Uh, my team is virtual. They're all over the world. I have people in Serbia. I have in the United States. I have a fantastic team of uh, two or three people actually in the Philippines who are amazing. I have somebody in Macedonia. Um, and like I said, I have several people throughout the United States as well. And a lot of these people I found on Upwork, honestly. Gotcha. Okay. Which is the freelance market. And by the way, there are lots of sites like Upwork. For sure. I've just used Upwork because it's you know, it's just what I know. It's, it's what I'm familiar with. And I've always been able to find good people on there. I heard that. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I've done. I mean, I found everybody on Upwork and my philosophy has always been to hire people, you know, I, I hire very quick, like within 24 to 48 hours, somebody will be hired. I don't believe in like spending weeks or months and doing all this like crazy assessments and interviews. I hire people oftentimes within one or two days. Gotcha. Is that like a gut feeling? Is that like, you know, you, you, you've seen enough? Why, why not the drawn out process, if you would? It's just not necessary. Okay. You know, you, with, with sites like Upwork, you can see their reviews, you can see their qualifications, and you talk to them on the phone, and you get a sense of like, is this something that they can do or not? And, you know, I've, I'm not saying that I'm perfect. I've made mistakes in the past. And when I make mistakes, you say, look, I'm sorry, this is not a great fit. Um, and you bring on somebody else. And usually you have some kind of a trial period of maybe a week, two weeks, a few weeks. And if it works out, great. If it doesn't work out, you bring somebody else on. But, you know, as a small business, I need to move quickly. I can't afford to just spend months. I don't even know what I would do for months trying to interview or hire somebody. Like, <laughs> gotcha. I mean, I'm hiring adults. I'm hiring grownups. It's right. like, if you tell me you can do the job, I'm going to believe that you can do the job. And, uh, you know, I'm going to look at some examples and some things that you've done in the past. And if nothing looks shady and you're, you know, a decent human being and we get along well and you can answer my questions, why wouldn't I hire you? You know, if it doesn't work out, no hard feelings. It's not a good fit. Um, but maybe I'll bring you on later for something else. I don't know. Gotcha. Uh, but I'm a big believer in, uh, in moving quickly. And, you know, we use Skype to collaborate. I found all these people via Upwork. Um, and it's been great. I mean, I'm very, very fortunate with the team that I have. They're, they're all fantastic. For sure. For sure. Thank you for sharing that. So you, you talked about like mistakes and, uh, and maybe not having a right fit and stuff like that with the team, but kind of talk about some of those times when you have your clients or whatever. What, what are some of those red flags to where you, you see where things are starting to turn south or even from the, uh, 
the initiation phase where you're talking to a potential client. He's like, you know what? This may not be a good fit for, you know, even though they're going to pay us a whole bunch of money, this may not be a good fit as a client. Kind of talk about that and those red flags to look out for, for Startup Nation, if you would. Yeah. And, and, you know, this really depends on the business that you're in, right? So whether you're selling a product or service, I mean, in my case, it's usually selling speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, so for something like speaking, I find that um, when it's a bad fit, you tend to get people who are, um, you know, like maybe a little bit micromanaging. Uh, and like sometimes when event organizers or planners and conferences or, or companies want to host an event, sometimes they get very, very nervous about bringing people in. And sometimes they get a little bit crazy. They want to control every aspect. They want to see everything. They want you to practice everything they want. Like it, it gets to be a little much. And, uh, and, and, you know, they're like, you know, the, the, the payment terms are crazy and they don't want to pay you for like 90 days. So I'm just wary of, organizations who make life difficult for me or my team when it comes to a particular engagement. I hear that. Right? I mean, things should be easy. Of course. And if you're going to be somebody who's going to stress out my team and make things difficult, I mean, I've had people who've been mean to my assistant and mean to my team. Wow. Um, And, you know, they're not like cursing or anything, but they're just... No, I got you. But just kind of, yeah, a little... Yeah, they're they're abrupt. They're short. They're maybe disrespectful. They make some comments which they don't need to make. uh, And you can just tell that they're rude. And it's like, look, uh, you, you guys reached out to me and I don't need you being rude to me or to my team or making life difficult for any of us. And so that to me is a very, very much a red flag. Gotcha. And the thing is, sometimes it's not the decision maker who's doing that. It's the, um, it's the gatekeeper. Like it's gatekeeper. The, yeah, yeah, for sure. So that, that's also something important because I've had situations in the past where I've almost canceled speaking engagements. And I say, look, before I do that, I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk to the executive who's actually bringing me in. Right. I want to talk to the person who's actually funding my being there. And oftentimes that person is amazing. Right. And they're nice and they're generous and they're kind to me and my team. And they have no idea that this other stuff is going on. Right. But the gatekeeper is a complete jackass. <laughs> sure. And, you know, that sometimes happens. And, right. uh, you know, what are you going to do? Right. For sure. So I'm, I'm just very weary of anything that makes life difficult for me or my team or anybody who, uh, you know, puts my team down or makes them feel bad. And I think that's an interesting point that you bring up, Jacob, because you, you talk about not just, you know, leading a team, but you also talk about protecting your team from those gatekeepers that do stuff like that. So I, I think that's a very important nugget, uh, Startup Nation, that you really should uh, pay attention to. So I appreciate that, Jacob, for sure. Yeah, I mean, like my assistant will see, see me on certain things. And, and uh, you know, if I see that somebody's being rude, I'll immediately jump in and say, hey, you know what? Um, like you can blame me, but you don't, you don't need to be talking to people on my team like that. You know, I'll, I'll jump in immediately because, um, you know, life is short and we don't need jackasses who are going to be insulting and condescending, especially by email. So it's like, <laughs> for sure. I mean, be a grown up. Gotcha. For sure. For sure. Now, now startup nation, if the last name Morgan sounds familiar, that's because we had Jacob's wife, Blake Michelle Morgan on the show a few weeks back. So Jacob, I want to ask you this because, you know, you're the, like the leadership futurist. She's like a customer experience futurist. Have you guys ever collaborated? And what's so, you know, kind of walk me through that process and how did that go? Yes. So we actually have a, uh, Top secret, actually, we haven't shared this with anybody yet. We actually have a uh, podcast that we're going to be launching together. Gotcha. um, That shares 
our journeys and um, what we do and how we built our teams. We're like, so we're going to be sharing all of this very, very soon in a podcast uh, called the BYOB podcast. And uh, that's going to be our biggest collaboration to date. Um, but aside from that, you know, she's mentioned in my book, I mentioned in her book, we've done some little things. I've been a guest on her show. She's been a guest on my show. And those are the, interestingly enough, the episodes where everybody says they like the most. So we yeah. thought we're going to combine uh, combine ourselves together and we're going to do uh, a joint podcast. I hear that. I hear that. She did kind of allude to it. She didn't give up too much either as well. So I definitely had an idea uh, that you guys had that going on. Hey, Jacob, really quickly, and we're, we're wrapping up, by the way, because I know we're kind of getting close to the top of the hour for as far as like when we started and stuff like that. Really quickly, man, I was just uh, got a news alert from CNBC and saying that uh, San Francisco orders residents to stay inside except for essential needs, man. So I, I want to ask you this, man, how much has you know, the, the thing with the going on with the health crisis, stuff like that, has, has that changed how you've done business from time to time, you know, or over the past couple of days, has anything been kind of impactful in that regard? Kind of share with me a little bit about that. Yeah. So I didn't actually see that update. Yet. I you just see? saw it on CNBC literally like a few seconds ago. Oh, really? Okay. So I'm going to yeah. have to check as soon as we get yeah. off the phone. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it has been impactful. It has been impactful because Blake and I are speakers. And so right. we had quite a few speaking events get canceled or moved or postponed. Right. So it is, it is certainly stressful um, for us because that happens. But at the same time, it's why it's important for you as an entrepreneur to diversify your portfolio a little bit Absolutely. and to be able to Absolutely. do things. And that's, like, how, and that's, why, and that's exactly why I wanted to ask you that. But go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah. So for example, something like courses, right? Something that still is able to generate revenue, right? If you right. write a book, you get book royalties. So being able to make sure that you still, not only that, but you have money saved up. One of the biggest mistakes that I think I, and even my wife made as entrepreneurs is not properly managing our emotions. And what that means is that when you get a lot of money coming in, it's very tempting to say, woohoo, like I made it. Let's go out. I'm going to get a massage and go to fancy restaurants. And all of a sudden you go through that money that you brought in right and you don't have any more coming in and then you get into panic mode right or you forget that you have to pay quarterly taxes all of a sudden mm. so you have to manage those are the highs right you get a lot of money coming in and it's very tempting for you to go out and just do something with the money right don't keep it the flip side of that for managing the highs is managing the lows is when things are not going well it's very tempting for you to be like oh i gotta quit this isn't for me and especially when you're a speaker, the, the speaker world is very cyclical. You know, for example, during summer, you really don't get hired for many speaking gigs because vacations, you know, right. people are on break. So if you started becoming a speaker, let's say, and, and people book a couple of months in advance. Right. So let's say you quit your job and you're like, you know, it's, it's April or, or May. Like, I'm going to become a speaker. And you realize you don't get anything in May, June, July, August. You're kind of like, holy shit. Like, I can't be a speaker. I should quit. And you're going to quit without realizing that the circuit starts up again in the, around the September, October period. So whatever business you're in, you need to understand that there are ups and there are downs. And if you go through an up, don't let it really influence how you spend. Uh, don't go crazy. And if you go through a down, don't assume that that's the end of the world and you're going to fail miserably. Just understand that you have a down period. Absolutely. But at the same time, I'm also a big believer in paying attention to kind of, you know, what I call the signs. Um, like there's a difference between having a cyclical down versus a permanent down. 
I hear that. And so if you're trying to launch a business and you've been doing it for eight months or a year and everybody's telling you it's not going to work, nobody's buying from you, like nobody's transacting from you, you're getting bad feedback, like that's a sign that you need to reevaluate things. So pay attention to the signs that the market is giving you. Pay attention to the signs that are out there. If you are launching an app, if you're a speaker and you start speaking, you get wonderful reviews, that's great. Pay attention to why those reviews are good. How can you build on those? If you get negative feedback, why are you getting negative feedback? Pay attention to the signs that are out there. And if you find that you, you, you are getting positive signs, but you're still kind of in that downward cyclical period, that's okay because you're still getting the good feedback. People are still consuming your content online. If you've built a personal brand for yourself, people are still interacting with you. They're still buying your books. They're just not hiring you to speak because it's that kind of downturn. Then that's okay. So just be, be wary of the signs that are out there that will kind of guide you in the right direction of the decisions, the decisions that you should be making. Absolutely. Absolutely. The great advice, Jacob. I appreciate you sharing that. And before I ask the last question, Jacob, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the Startup Life. Uh, you gave amazing value. You gave, you know, all of us a lot of stuff to kind of really put in our entrepreneurial toolkit from leadership, but also some of the stuff you were just saying about the permanent down versus the cyclical down. I think that's very important stuff for us to know for sure. And so I'm actually going to turn the microphone over to you because there's someone in Startup Nation that's feeling either stuck in their business or they're afraid to even start. Kind of give them some words of encouragement. Take us on out for the day, my man. Oh, man, you got to start. Um, the, the best piece of advice, right? The, you don't need to sit there and do analysis paralysis. You just got to start because the biggest mistake that you can do is to not do anything. Um, if you are scared, look, and to be honest, you will get into a situation where you're going to have trolls and people who come after. I've had lots of people. I've had people make fake Twitter accounts about me. I've had people messaging my wife, then girlfriend, telling her to break up with me because I was bad for her career. I've had people doing all sorts of like crazy shit. Gotcha. Um, so you have to remember that just like when you go exercise, right? When you go lift weights, you tear down your muscles and your muscles hurt. And the growth comes in when your muscles repair right? That's why they always say you, you work out, you're sore. And when the soreness goes away, your muscles rebuild and you get a little bit stronger, you get a little bit bigger. You notice change. Same thing is true when you step out of your comfort zone. You're going to go through a period of a little bit of, of tearing down. It's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. It's going to be uncomfortable. It might be a little bit painful, but when you come out on the other end, you're going to be much stronger than you were before. So for me, the biggest lesson is um, just, just do it. Whatever it is that you want to do, you just have to start. Whether it's uh, starting small with something like a blog, whether it's wanting to become a speaker and just apply to some places to speak for free, uh, you're never going to know until you actually do it. So the best piece of advice I have is after you listen to the show, whatever it is that you're thinking, go do it. I hear that. I hear that. And that's going to wrap up this session of the Startup Life. Thank you so much, Jacob Morgan, for coming on the show. You really gave us some great value. And as always, Startup Nation, if you have an idea, 